those of you that are watching with us this morning online, we are super excited to uh, to have you uh, worshiping with us. I, I really believe as we're studying through this book of Exodus, I think this is a obviously a very pivotal story in the book of Exodus, the Passover, the celebrating of the angel of death, passing over the Hebrews and unleashing them out of slavery and into freedom. But this is a story that has uh, so much more uh, as it relates to implications in our own life. So we're going to really try to unpack that a little bit today. Let, let me ask you this. Would you say something's a pretty significant event if it has been celebrated for 3,400 years? Would you agree with me on that? That'd be a pretty significant event. And that's what we're looking at. The story that we're looking at today has been celebrated for over 3,400 years. So we're going to get a chance to take a look at it. But I want us to look at this story that... uh, actually happened, but this story is also a shadow. It's a story that is a shadow, and it's really going to shed light on a far greater reality out in the future. And so as we, as we think about shadows, we'll put a shadow just up on the screen. Uh, we, we sort of understand shadows are really dark images that are really cast by intercepting light, light that's really shown on the original. So if I take a look at the shadow there, the shadows that we see are just leading us to the fact that there are real human beings on the sidewalk right there, right? And so shadows really do that. If we follow, they'll they'll lead us to the original. And so as we think about this, we're going to see this story of Passover, we're going to see it like a shadow, and it is going to really shed light on a far greater reality in our life. And one of the things that we've said about this series in Exodus is, is that God is drawing us out to draw us in. And so he drew the children of Israel out of captivity and drew them in to greater intimacy with him. But God is drawing some things out of us so we can be closer to him. That's what Exodus is about. And so today, I thank and I hope and I pray that one of the things that God does in your life is he draws us out of more confusion in our life to greater clarity as it relates to understanding uh, the essence of the gospel. I think that really has a chance of happening uh, today. So let's begin in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, Starting in verse 1, we're reminded that for 430 years, the children of Israel have been in captivity. They've been crying out for a deliverer. God raises up a deliverer in Moses and his brother Aaron, who is the spokesman. Now they go back to Egypt to speak on behalf of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart is hard. He will not let the children of Israel go. He says, who is this Lord that you worship, Moses? And now these nine plagues up to this point, God shows Pharaoh who he is, shows him his power. But he doesn't just show Pharaoh. He's showing the children of Israel his power, and he's also showing us his power over all things. It can be a super uh, encouragement to us. Now, uh, let's begin. These, uh, uh, this story takes place, obviously, after the nine plagues uh, have happened. Uh, Egypt, at this point, is literally decimated. We have the Nile that had turned to, to blood. We have the, the plague of the frogs. We have gnats. We have flies. We have boils. We have hail that's destroying crops, uh, darkness, and now this final plague. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Now, Typically, when I read over a passage like that, I think, you know what, I'm just going to kind of skip over that and kind of get to the good stuff, but I want to show you that this is really the good stuff. God is saying, what I'm about to do, Moses, is going to be so significant that the year from now on, this is where you're going to start your year. This is going to be your new year. That's a pretty significant event, isn't it? I mean, yeah, the answer to that would be yeah. I mean, we've had some pretty significant events in the life of our our, our country, July 4th, 1770. Six, our, our uh, independence as a nation. December 7th, 1941 was the attack on 
Pearl Harbor, some of you remember that. July 20th, 1969, somebody said in the first service, Woodstock. No, it wasn't. Not Woodstock. That tells us kind of who we're reaching here. Uh, Neil Armstrong, uh, Walks on the Moon. Those are all really significant events, and we could list just more and more significant events, but here's what's interesting. None of those events, as important as they were and big as they were, we didn't, we didn't reset our calendar because of them, but certainly that's what the Hebrews did here at, at Passover. Now, verse 3, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day, and if you have your Bible open, I'm going to just get total Bible geek here for the next 20 minutes, and so I want to show you some things that to me are just super cool, and I hope they're cool to you, and I hope they encourage you and challenge you in your faith and, and give you so much freedom. Uh, it's not what I say that brings freedom. It's the truth of God's Word when it's understood through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that is powerful. Tell the whole community of Israel on the 10th day, underline the word 10, on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household, right? Now, if any household is too small uh, for a whole lamb, uh, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people uh, there are. You need to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Now, I want to say this. This seems like it's kind of weird, God. What are you doing? I mean, why are, you, why are you being so serious about how, many, how much everybody's going to eat and, and why so particular about how much meat everyone's going to eat? And, 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 and so we sort of do this in my house. Um, you know, we have a, when, when my sister and, and my kids and grandkids and my mom and dad get together, so I think there's 16 of us, and so if they're coming over, then we order some food. And Amy, I'll hear her on the phone, you know, with somebody, and she'll say, well, we need to pick up for, for 16, like we're getting barbecue. And I said, well, no, 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 not, not, not fully 16. Because some of them don't eat as one, so let's combine some, you know, because my, my sister has five girls, and they don't all they, they, they So I said, let's just cut it down. Let's just do 12. She said, well, they're 16. Well, they don't all eat like a full person. So I'm doing that because I'm tight. That's why I'm doing that, right? There's something way different going on here. God is making sure that every morsel of this sacrifice is going to be eaten, and we'll understand why in just a moment. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You must take them from the sheep or from the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel slaughter them at at, uh, twilight. Just a reminder, I told you to underline the 10th day. Now it's the 14th day. I want to show you something about that in just a minute, but they had that uh, animal in their home for, for those four days. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the doorframe of their houses where they eat the lambs. Now, let, let's, just, let's just be reminded of this. I mean, the, the children of Israel had seen these nine plagues take place. They had seen God move in such powerful ways. And then when Moses come to, comes to them and says, oh, this is going to be the tenth and the final plague, and here's what you do. After you slaughter that lamb, you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on your doorpost. Man, if I'm hearing that in light of everything that's taken place, I am just covering my doorpost. I mean, it is dripping, right? And I'm going to do windows, I'm doing awnings, I'm doing the whole, I mean, I'm painting the house, you know, because I, I, want, to, I want to do this. I don't want to miss what God, God has for me. Uh, verse 8, that same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire. God gives them detail about how they are to, to cook the meat. And again, these are all shadows that are going to point to a, a, a greater reality, along with bitter herbs. Why the bitter herbs? Because it reminds them of their slavery in Egypt, because we have spiritual amnesia, and we're prone to want to go back to Egypt in our own life. And this is a reminder of what it's like prior to what God did when he released us. And bread made without yeast, they're to have bread made without yeast. And you might say, well, what's the point about that? Now, I, I tell you this all the time. When you study the Bible, when you read a scripture, you have to ask the question, 
question, what did the original reader understand? And so when a Hebrew reader is understanding a bread without yeast, they understood this very clearly, that yeast really represented sin. Now, think about this. Some of you have been baking a lot over the quarantine, you know, and so if you're a baker, you understand yeast. I see you patting somebody's shoulder. Yeah, I mean, there's just tons of baking. We have people bring us bread, and I appreciate that. Then you ever have people want to give you like a little starter kit, like this little bread, you wrap it up, you put it in that? That kind of weirds me out, just to be honest. Like this growing organism that's in my refrigerator is kind of kind of weird. But but yeast is is, is like bacteria. It's not it's not a bacteria, but it's kind of has some similar properties to bacteria, which is weird. Yeast is 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 kind of like a fungus, but it's it's not really a fungus. But here's the point about yeast: when you put yeast in with the other ingredients, yeast makes the bread do what? All bakers unite. It makes the bread rise. Yeah, it makes the bread rise. And so what's the point there? Here's, here's the point. Part of what's going on here is sin is always an escalator in our life, right? It's sin, when, when sin enters into our life and we're involved in sin, sin doesn't just stay the same. The enemy's desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. So sin escalates. And so that, that's the point. Do not eat, verse 9, do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. There it is again. God is so serious about not leaving a scrap behind. What's going on? Well, we're going to look at that. If some of it is left till morning, you are to, to burn it. Verse 11, and we'll stop here for just a second. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt. Now, why would you tuck your cloak into your belt? You would tuck your cloak into your belt because you are ready to run. You believe that your release is at hand, and you are believing or eating this meal in faith, believing that God is who he says he is and that he is going to do what he said he was going to do, and that was release the children of Israel uh, from their captivity. There's great, great traction here, a lot to take away. Many times the reason we don't experience a release is, is we're not expecting a release. You see? So eat with your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals on your feet, ready to run, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So for the next couple of minutes, we're going to take a look at this story. We're going to begin to break down the elements. It sure seems like God has some very specific things that he says about this Passover meal. He wants this meal eaten and prepared a certain way. And, and my point to you is these are all shadows that really shed light on a, on a greater, greater reality. And that reality is our substitute that we find in Jesus Christ. All right, so let's take a look at the first one. The first shadow. The first shadow of Passover is this. It sheds light on the purity of the substitute. So the first shadow sheds light on the purity of the substitute. Now, go back to verse 5. Here we go, just very quickly. What does it say? The animal you choose, God says, must be a year old without defect. Right? So it could be a sheep or a goat. And so here's the point. You're to go and pick one of these animals for the sacrifice, and you, you don't get one that's sick or, or, or weak or injured to the best of your ability. Find one that is without defect. Now, here's the truth of the matter. There wasn't a sheep or a goat that they could select that was completely without defect, right? You ever been around sheep and goats? They all stink, every one of them, right? I mean, they're not a perfect sheep or goat in the pen. If you raise sheep or goats, we had some folks here Thursday night that kind of agreed with me on that. I mean, there, there's not one that's perfect. But this is meant to be a shadow of a greater reality pointing to what? That when the ultimate substitute comes, that's Jesus Christ, he will be completely without defect. Uh, he would be not stained by sin in any way. That's why when John the Baptist sees Jesus... 
The microphone's popping here. When John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he understands this. This is a shadow pointing to a far greater reality. The Bible says, God made him, meaning Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So as we trust in him, then we become the righteousness of God. Now, let's look at the second shadow. The second shadow of Passover sheds light on the personal on the personal nature of the substitute. Look at verse 6 with me. This, is, this to me was so helpful the first time I really began to understand this. Take care of them until the 14th day, meaning take care of the sheep or the goat until the 14th day. Now, let me ask you a question. When did they take it into their house? On what day? 10th day to the 14th day when all the members of your community of Israel must slaughter them at, 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 at twilight. Now, let me ask you to think about something. Kids, think about this. If your mom or dad brought a pet into your house and you kept it for four days, what's going to happen in four days? You're going to fall in what? You're going to fall in love. You're going to fall in love with that animal, and then that animal's going to be taken away. I mean, that's going to be harsh. You see, because after four days, this isn't a pet. This is my pet. It becomes personal. So why is it that, what is God doing when he says, keep this sacrifice in your home for, for four days? He's wanting this thing to become personal, to understand this, this substitute as a personal substitute. Now, let me just tell you, here's the reason why it hasn't worked for so many people. Why? Why religion hasn't worked for so many people because it's never gotten personal. This is the difference between religion and Christianity. Christianity is always meant to be personal. Listen, the substitute that we serve, that we follow, that we worship, it's personal. And unless it becomes personal, it's never going to make a difference in your life, right? It's, if it's just some religious icon, just some piece of jewelry that you wear around your neck, that doesn't bring about change. But listen, for four days in the home and it just took four days for them to fall in love, has it ever become personal with you? You see, that's the shadow that's pointing to a far greater reality in the substitute. Let's look at the third thing. And there's so much here. My, so much here. My wife on Thursday night. My my wife. Some some of you know Amy. Her dad was a pastor. I mean, she grew up in a pastor's home. Then we got married. So all she's ever she's just lived in a pastor's home her whole life. She's heard so many messages. And so she comes on Thursday night. We worship on Thursday night. And and uh, I'll get in the car on Thursday night. And I'm like, well, you know, like that's kind of grade. She grades me out. Like, you know, how, how was it? And she said, well, that was a lot. A lot of points. And she said, I'm I'm sure they 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 probably got some of them. And uh, so I'm like, okay. That wasn't like a glowing endorsement. But she said, you just threw a lot out there, and I'm sure somebody got a few. So anyways, we're throwing a lot out there, and and, and hopefully you pick something up. (laughs) Number three, the shadow of Passover really sheds light on on this, the sacrifice of the substitute. Look back at verse 8. That same night, you're to eat the meat roasted over the fire. Now, again, what's going on here? Why is God so concerned about how they cook it? He even goes on to say that you can't boil the meat, that you roast the meat over the fire. There's something happening here. The way this meat is to be cooked, there's something that God wants us to show, to, to see here. Now, let me just tell you something. Justice, your, for, for justice to take place in any circumstance and situation, I believe for justice to take place, a penalty has to be paid. Do you believe that? For justice to truly take place, a penalty has to be paid. And so that is part of what is taking place here. There has to be a penalty that needs to take place. And so uh, think about this for a moment because we, we think, well, th- what, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about a, a penalty being, being needing to be paid for our sin? I want to I ask you to think about this for, for a moment because you ever wrestled with that? Ever wrestle with why in the world did there need to be a penalty for our sin? What's the big deal? Couldn't something just be kind of swept under the rug? Let me just ask you to think with me kind of 
logically the way I the way I think. Some of you are like, that's a weird thing. I don't want to do that, but I'm going to think like you. But go with me for just a second. Do you believe God's creator? That wasn't rhetorical. Yeah, I believe God's creator. I think we find some common agreement here. So that means God has created me and God created you, right? So he is my creator, right? And 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 so here's what I know. Uh, uh, has have, have any of you this hasn't gone well in any of the previous three services. I don't think anybody's picked up on what I'm saying, but I hope, I'm expecting better things from you. Have any of you taken your life, taking your life from something other than the Creator, meaning lived your life uh, by your own rules, not the rules of Creator? I have. I have. I have. I have taken my life apart from the Creator. I have lived my life apart from the Creator. And so what I want you to see is that in and of itself, because the nature of who our Creator is, that in and of itself is a capital offense. And so for me to be free and for you to be free, justice has to take place, and justice always demands a payment, right? And sometimes people get all up in arms about the justice of God, to see or the wrath of God. People get all up in arms about this, but listen, you don't catch the who story, you don't catch the whole story. Who makes the payment so that justice could be satisfied? It's the son who does that. Do you see that? It's God's son. So look at this. I want to summarize all that I just said. Some of you are like, please help me. Justice demands a payment. Would you agree with that? But love provided a substitute. That's what we see. And you have to keep those two things in your mind. Justice demands a payment for me to be free, but love provided a substitute. We see all of that in Christ. And so here's the point. Why did this substitute the lamb in the Passover meal? Why did it have to be cooked over the fire? Because the fire was the wrath and the justice. It represented the wrath and the justice of God. So the substitute, do you see it? The substitute had to taste the fire. Why? So you don't. Is that helpful? Do you see that? Cook it over the fire. The substitute is going to taste the fire. So why? So that you don't have to taste the fire. That encourages me so much. Does that encourage anybody here today? It's a powerful truth. And do you see that everything that God is doing in this story is a shadow that's really pointing to a greater reality in Christ? Now, let's look at the fourth thing. All right, some of you are like, I'm with Amy here. I still haven't gotten anything. Yeah, well, we've still got several more to go. You hang in there. I'm going to keep going until till David comes out and starts playing the, the, the organ there. We'll just keep going. We'll throw points out until we get there. Look at this. Number four, the shadow of Passover sheds light that true faith must always be applied. Let's talk about this for just a second. Look back at verse 7, and we'll, we'll be reminded of this. Then they are to take some of the blood. God says, take some of the blood after you sacrifice the animal, the, the sheep or the goat. You take some of the blood and you put it on the sides and you put it on the top of your door frames of your houses where they are to eat the lamb. Now, again, what do they have to do? It's not, I mean, God says this and the children of Israel, Israel don't say, yeah, we believe it. We believe it. You know, if the, if, if the blood of the lamb's there, we, 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 we believe that. We believe that. You'll pass over the blood. No, they did something with it. We live in a culture today where everybody's a believer, right? Everybody's a believer, well, let me just tell you something. Satan's a better believer than anybody in this room. There's a difference. He's never applied the blood. You see, and, and, and this is what's taking, God, taking place here. God is saying you have to apply the blood. Because let me, let me just tell you something really quickly. And I say this a lot, but it's a super important thing. I think salvation is, is, is available for all. Do you, do you believe that? I believe salvation is available for all. But here's what I believe. I don't believe salvation is automatic. I don't just believe it's our default position. Would you agree with me? And we live in a culture where just most people, especially live in the South, and, you, and your mama loved God and your granddaddy was a preacher. It's just kind of automatic. It's not automatic. 
It's not automatic. Something has to, we have to apply the, we have to apply the, the blood. If not, it's just demon faith. So what does it mean to apply the blood? It means to trust completely. It means to come under its authority. Because listen, when, when these Hebrews, when God said, the angel of death is going to pass over, and then if the blood is applied to your house, I'll, I'll pass over that home. They trusted that. They believed that. They applied it to their home, and they stayed under that. Meaning they didn't leave their home that night until the angel of death had passed over. They were coming under the authority of what God said. That's what it means to apply the blood. And can I just tell you something? Can I just tell you something that's so helpful to me? The reason that as Christians we are free is that we have applied the blood of the substitute, and that is the only reason. Do you understand that? Because everybody puts something up on their door, right? Everybody puts something up on their door. We, we can put a resume up on our door. Right? We can put our, our family background, our family accomplishments. We can put our behavior. We can put all that stuff on our door. But the only thing that brings freedom is the blood of the substitute and applying it to our life, which means ultimately this, let me say it, trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your ultimate forgiveness. That's what it means to apply the blood, right? And to come under the authority, watch this. I, want, I, I wish I could communicate this better. Pray for me that I could. Because every command in Scripture... Every command in Scripture was given to provide and to protect you. Every command in Scripture was given to provide and to protect, but we only can receive the provision and protection when we come up under that command and apply it. Does that make sense? That's what the children of Israel did. I mean, they applied it, and they came up under it. They stayed in their home, and death passed over them. Well, that's a great principle for us in our life in every single way. Now, look at this, Exodus chapter 12. I want to show you something, and let me set this section up. Uh, anybody here have a birthday really close to Christmas, like two or three days before or after Christmas? Show of hands. Anybody? Right there, when's your birthday? 19th, super cool. Anybody else closer to Christmas than that? Anybody? Okay, good. We don't have prizes for you or anything. <laughs> Somebody be like, yeah, I'm going to raise my hand. You're giving out stuff? Yeah. Um, but, but here's the thing, and I, I ask you that because here's the problem with that. And I feel for people, like my, my birthday's in July. I feel for people whose birthday is really close to Christmas because if your birthday is really close to Christmas, now that may not be true about you guys, but what I, what I have noticed in my 50 years of life, if people, people whose birthday is super close to Christmas, they kind of get shortchanged, right? I mean, they might get their Christmas gift, but their birthday gift is kind of like, eh, it's a little weak, right? Because, I mean, a lot of money's been spent, right? Everybody's spent on Christmas, and so birthday stuff is, I always think about that, man. If your birthday is really close to Christmas, it's like a big Christmas, small birthday. There's a little girl here on Thursday night. She raised her little hand. Hers was the 26, and I was saying that, and she was just nodding. Like, yeah. She had other sisters. She's like, they get better stuff. I get nothing. Got like a Zaxby's gift card last year for my birthday or something. This is, it's terrible. So, and you're like, okay, I, I, yeah, what's your point? In this story, there are two celebrations for the Hebrews in this story. One gets a lot of play, Passover, and rightly so. The other, we just kind of skip over it, right? It's kind of like if your birthday is really close to Christmas, but it's really important. Now, let, let's take a look at it. Look at verse 12. On that same night, talking about Passover, I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both of people and animals. I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. In other words, if you've applied the blood, I will pass over you. Watch this. This is a true principle for you. If you have applied the blood of Christ Jesus in your life, in other words, you've trusted it and it alone, then you've passed over from death to life. Is that good news for you? 
Great news, right? No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. So Passover is a day you are to commemorate uh, for generations to come. And then it goes right into another festival. Celebrating as the festival of the Lord is a lasting ordinance. Look at verse 15, the next one. It's like your birthday right beside Christmas. For seven days you are to eat uh, bread, or, or excuse me, for seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. So this is the festival of unleavened bread, right? So, and again, yeast represented sin. So for seven days, you're to eat bread without yeast. On the first day of the, of, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right after Passover, uh, you are to remove yeast from your house. So you go in your cabinets, and if there's any yeast, Hebrews still do this today, any yeast in their house, they take it out. Now, again, yeast is, this is not the real issue. Yeast is a shadow, right? It's pointing to a greater reality. What is the reality? It's really sin. It means that after celebrating Passover, after all God did to take me from death to life, then I'm to take an inventory of my own life and see, Lord, is there, is there any area in my life that I'm walking in disobedience? Not because I have to, but because I want to, because of all that you've done for me. Does that make, does that make sense? Right? On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. And we read that and we're like, what? Like, that is super weird, God. Like, I, I do not get that. That seems like super judgmental. I'm not into that. And I don't like that. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me ask you to look at it another way. Maybe it's not judgmental at all. Maybe it's the most loving thing that God could do. In other words, here's what's taking place here. He's saying if there's somebody that after Passover, during the seven-day festival of unleavened bread, that's sneaking around the back of their house and they're eating bread that's already risen with, with yeast in it to cut them off from God's covenant people, why is he doing that? Because he's saying you want to show this person or treat this person as an unbeliever, right? And, and, and that's not an unloving thing. That's a super loving thing because the hope is that they would realize that, that they would pr- repent and put, put trust in God. Now, some of you are looking like, dude, you just lost me. Hang on. I want to try to summarize everything I said in, in one sentence, okay? Is that going to be helpful? Can somebody just nod here? Like, I mean, I know the Titans. I mean, you can DVR. The Titans are coming on, but we'll get out of here. You can DVR. It's no big deal. This is super important, super important, right? Those who apply the blood remove the yeast. You're like, what in the heck are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Those who truly have applied the blood of Christ Jesus and realize that I have passed from death to life, then you have new desires because the power of the blood is not just power to save us. It is power to change us from the inside out and give us new desires. And so here's the thing. Now, I I said this, and people get critical with me about this, but I want to say it again. I'm a person who primarily, I'm not like a big denominational person. Um, I'm a person who, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a person who, a preacher who tries just to the best of my ability, preach the truth of God's word. That's kind of who I am. But listen, sometimes people are super critical. They say, you're a Baptist. Here's my problem with Baptists. Baptists uh, believe that once a person is saved, you're always saved. And people ask, do you believe that? And I'll say, well, yes. I believe that's what the Bible teaches because if you truly apply the blood, right, if I'm trusting in it it alone, then I've passed over from death to life, right? That's the point of this whole thing. But listen, not everybody, here's the problem, not everybody who says they're a follower of Christ is truly a follower of Christ. Would you agree with that? And so that leads us to another question, how do we know? And so that's where the festival of unleavened bread really comes in. Here's here's, Here's how you will know. Listen, as a follower of Christ, again, please hear what I'm about to say. It doesn't mean that you live your life perfectly. It just means you have desire 
to walk in obedience. You have a desire to leave sin and be more like Christ tomorrow, that you're growing in that. You have a desire to remove the yeast from your house, and you're seeing growth in your life. That's what the Festival of Unleavened Bread is like, is about. It's really a way, in many ways, almost to, to, to check our work. Like, let, let me just say this. If you can live your life in continual sin without any conviction and out any, out any real change in your life, you know, if you're not seeing any difference in your life because of this quote-unquote confession you've made toward Christ, then you really need to question whether or not you've been transformed through the power of the blood. That's what he's saying. You, you, you cut those folks off from the community. And again, why is that? So they can see the reality of who they are. That's the most loving thing instead of waiting till it's too late, right? Do you see that, two of you? So those who apply the blood remove the yeast. Look at 1 John 5, 3. This is a great verse just to think about that builds on this. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. The way that's written in the Greek is, is just a continuing desire for obedience. This is the victory that has come to the world, even our faith. Now, let me just say this to you. You will never follow what you first of all don't love. Can I tell you that? You will never follow what, first of all, you don't love. And that's, what's, that's one of the shadows of Passover, right? Here's this animal that a family had, children had fallen in love with after four days and it's sacrificed as their substitute. It got personal for them, you see? Now, let me just tell you this. If God's laws are burdensome to you, like if there's something that God's commanding you to do and it's very burdensome from you, in other words, you want to reject that, you don't want to submit to that, you probably have skipped a step. Because let me just tell you something. This is so true in the book of Exodus, so true. It's so helpful. Before God wants to be your lawgiver, he wants to be your substitute. If you really want to study the book of Exodus, it isn't until Exodus chapter 20. We're in chapter 12 when God gives the Ten Commandments, right? So, listen, God wants to be your substitute first. And think about this. Can you just put yourself in this story for just a second? Because I feel like I'm having trouble connecting with you guys. I mean, if you've seen the nine plagues... And then that night you applied the blood, and that night you, uh, the next morning you stepped out of your house, and there's wailing in all of Egypt because death had come to every house, and everybody in your family is, is alive. After the event of Passover, would there be some celebration in your heart and a growing, a growing love for God and who he is and what he's done? I mean, if you had a child that firstborn, wouldn't you go and grab that child and hold that child and realize that child was with you today because of the mercy and the grace of God? I mean, wouldn't that be a powerful experience? Yes. And you want to follow a God like that because of what he's done. Number five, the shadow of Passover sheds light on the priority of surrender. Again, back to verse 10, just to remind you, God goes into all this detail about how much meat is going to be served, not to leave any of the meat meat. meat left over. Do not leave, verse 10, do not leave anything till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. What is God saying? What is he so serious about? He says, with this sacrifice, I want you to completely devour this sacrifice, right? Measure, uh, take into account how many people are coming to your table. If you have a small family and you don't eat very much, you invite some neighbors so that you completely devour the, the, this, this animal or this substitute. Let me just tell you something about Jesus. I hear this all the time. I hear people say this all the time. I hope they don't mean what I think they mean. Talk about Jesus being a big part of their life. Can I tell you something? Jesus never came to be a big part of your life. Can I tell you that? That's shocking for some of you. He came to be your life. That's a big difference. It's a huge difference. One of the things about Corona, we, you know, nobody goes to a salad bar anymore during coronavirus, right? 
I think that's a good lesson for us to learn. I think salad bars were gross before that. So it's probably Corona is just probably, you know what? We should probably do away with those, right? You know, I don't know. But here's the problem with salad bars. If you can get past everybody breathing over all the food before you eat it, is, is most people, and this is me, you go down to salad bar, you just pick and choose what you want, don't you? I got a little of this, I don't like that, pick and choose. That's what we, we, we sort of bring that mentality to Christianity. Jesus, I like this. I, I like your love and your grace and your mercy, but you know, I don't like when you're talking about surrender or sacrifice. And there are certain things that you've asked me to do about more morality. I don't like that. And so we kind of pick and choose what we like about Jesus. That makes sense? We sort of pick and choose, and that's not it. Jesus says you devour it all. I'm your everything, or I am nothing. And God is serious about that. Now, here's the irony. Here's the irony. Only in surrender, when we devour it, when we take all of him, every facet of our life, only in surrender are we filled, right? Because here's the truth I know about you because I know it about me. Everything I have discarded that I didn't want from Christ, any of the demands that I didn't want to surrender to, so I took my life from other places, I was never full. I was never satisfied. This will save you a ton of trouble. Only in surrender are you completely full. That's why God is so serious about devouring it all. Number six, the shadow of Passover sheds light that faith always precedes our freedom. I love this. Verse 11, this is how you're to eat it. God's saying it's going to be a to-go meal, right? Here's how you're going to eat this thing, with your cloak tucked into your belt. Why was her cloak tucked into their belt? Because they believed God was going to do what he said he was going to do. They believed that their freedom and their release was at hand. Do you know why so many of us today, listen, listen. Do you know, you know why so many of us today sit enslaved emotionally, spiritually? Because we don't really believe that our freedom is at hand. We don't really believe the word of God that he's a God that can draw us out into a place of freedom and to abundance. Eat with your cloak tucked in with sandals on your feet. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So why did they, they ate that in faith. They believed that it was possible with God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what's one area of your life? What's one area of your life that you're operating with, with or in outside of faith? Can I tell you today, Tuck your cloak into your belt. Put the sandals on your feet. And believe that as if it's already happened. I don't think God could ever forgive me. I don't think God could ever love me. I hear this over and over again. The Bible says this, the blood of, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's true for you. Believe it as if it's already happened from you. The Bible says those of us who put our faith in Christ have passed over from death to life. Believe it as if that was already true. You see, the Hebrews aren't eating expecting this to work. They ate it knowing it was going to work. I hear people all the time say this, Pastor Brady, I'm just struggling in my life. I don't have enough time to flesh all this out. The music's playing. But here's what I really believe. When someone says I'm struggling, at the root of every any struggle in your life is just delayed obedience, truthfully. At the root of just about any struggle that I've had in my life, it's really just delayed obedience. I'm not eating in haste. I'm not believing God. Number seven, the final one, the shadow of Passover sheds light on this that one way or another, we'll all have to experience a death. 
the shadow of Passover sheds life that at one way or another we'll all have to experience a death. And I'm not saying, I'm not talking about you're going to die, everybody knows you're going to die. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual death here. Look at verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. Listen to this. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in prison or in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night. And look at this. And there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house. Watch this. There was not a house without someone dead. And you say, well, that's, that's right. right. For the Egyptians, there was not a house that there wasn't someone dead. But even in the Hebrews' home, there was not a house where there wasn't something dead. It was either the substitute or the someone. You see, because the shadow of Passover sheds light, there's always going to be a death. It's just going to be yours for eternity or it will be you trusting in the substitute who died in your place who you, so you could be free. Can I ask you two questions and then I'm going to be done? Have you ever applied the blood? I'm not asking, do you believe? I'm asking, have you ever applied the blood? Have you ever trusted completely in the all-sufficient sacrifice in the blood of Christ Jesus to forgive you? Can I ask you a second question? Are you removing the yeast? Yeah, man, that's the goofiest question I've ever heard. You see, the second question in some ways answers the first, doesn't it? Are there new desires in your life to respond, to walk, to live? differently than before. There's something that God is up to in your life, drawing you to obedience. It's a picture of you removing the yeast because you've applied the blood. And God's promise is, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. In verse 13, don't you love that? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that statement is not just true for those Hebrews 3,400 years ago. It is true for you today. And that's why we gather here in this place to celebrate that fact and give you one more chance to do that. Because in Passover, God showed the world the power of his blood. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Lord, I pray we'd wrestle with these penetrating questions of whether or not we've applied the blood. What evidence can we point to removing the yeast in our, in our life that is evidence of your working in our heart and life. And Father, today, now as we move into communion, which is the reality of Passover that was just a shadow in so many ways, Lord, help us to see things like we've never seen before. In Jesus' name.